from the University of Notre Dame. This is With a Side of Knowledge. I'm your host, Ted Fox. Before the pandemic, we were the show that invited scholars, makers, and professionals out to brunch for informal conversations about their work. And we look forward to being that show again one day. But for now, we're recording remotely to maintain physical distancing. If you like what you hear, you can leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Thanks for stopping by. Lauren Wilkinson is the author of the novel American Spy, which was published by Random House in 2019 and subsequently named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, Time, NPR, Entertainment Weekly, Esquire, and BuzzFeed, among others. Including it on his summer reading list, former President Barack Obama described it as, quote, a whole lot more than just a spy thriller, wrapping together the ties of family, of love, and of country. In addition to penning a critically acclaimed novel, Lauren has taught writing at Columbia University and the Fashion Institute of Technology, and was a 2013 Center for Fiction Emerging Writers Fellow. Her writing has appeared in publications like Granta, The Believer, New York Magazine, and The New York Times, and she also writes for television. During our conversation, we talked about some of the big themes in American Spy, including how we understand the term American, as well as the seven-year process she went through to write the book. That story includes a surprising connection between her novel and that of one of our past guests, Pulitzer winner Marilyn Robinson. Lastly, and on a completely unrelated note, at the very end of the interview, you might catch Lauren's subtle nod to the New York City diner of Seinfeld fame that is my go-to background on Zoom. I guess you could say I believe that, if you can't go to coffee, you bring the iconic TV sitcom coffee shop to you. Lauren Wilkinson, welcome to With a Side of Knowledge. Hi. Your novel, American Spy, mm-hmm. awesome novel is the story of Marie Mitchell, whose defining moments as an intelligence offer take place during the latter stages of the Cold War. Mm -hmm. And whenever I have the chance to talk to a novelist, I always like to start by asking them to read from their book. Uh, So if you're willing, and you said you were, which I really appreciate, this is a passage from when Marie's on assignment in Burkina Faso in 1987, Mm -hmm. and she's been sent there to help undermine the government of Thomas Sankara. Yes, so this opens up chapter 19. I rode back to the house and took a quick shower to cool down. There was a guest house owned by a Frenchman nearby that I planned to walk over to for dinner. Like all cities, Ouagadougou was segregated by class and I stuck to the handful of places where the wealthy hung out, which were always crawling with foreigners. I had no anxiety about that as I would have at home. After just a few days, my idealized vision of Africa had given way to the realities of Waga. I had accepted that there were streets I wouldn't ride my motorcycle on because they were too chaotic. Restaurants, and this was most of them, I didn't want to eat in because there was neither running water nor real toilets in their bathrooms. Every day I spent in Burkina Faso was a reminder of how American I was. And although I found it difficult to be there, I thought it was good for me too, because it took me out of my usual context. There was the language, the new culture, the fact that in the United States, I thought of myself as black before I thought of myself as American. In Ouagadougou, routinely, those designations were reversed. People saw me as American first, the American. 
I can't say I preferred it that way, but it gave me a new perspective. Thank you. That was uh, Lauren Wilkinson reading from American Spy. And part of the reason I, I picked that passage, the passage itself speaks to it. The title of the novel, American Spy, speaks to it. The Time Magazine review on the cover, which said Wilkinson's page turner asked potent questions about politics, race, and what it means to be an American, that speaks to it. How important to you was it to give readers the opportunity to really sit with and unpack the assumptions, the presumed commitments, et cetera, that the word American brings along with it? Yeah, I mean, that was, that was very important to me. It was definitely up there in my priorities list because, and the reason was because it was just part of my experience. When I, when I went to Waga for, for research, that was the thing that kept being most forefront in my mind, that this was an opportunity for me in the, for the first time really in my life to just see myself in different terms and to understand myself in the context of, of being an American. Um, and I just, yeah, and you know, it was, I was in my early 30s and it was just a new way for me to experience um, my identity. And, and I hoped um, that that theme would be very present for anyone who, who read the book. And I, I mean, and I think it's, it's so interesting to um, just what Marie goes through. And again, I, I will do my, my best in talking about it, not to give spoilers to people who, who haven't read it, but just kind of the ideological questioning that she that she goes through you know she's an american intelligence officer in the mid 1980s and you know cold war and and how communism is viewed and really kind of this process that she really goes through and i think as a reader you go through with her of saying like okay these are kind of the the preconceived notions i'm quote unquote supposed to have as an american and wow the more i dig into this i'm really kind of faced with some with some hard truths about that yeah, I think she kind of needs to figure out are the things that she, these preconceived notions that she's supposed to have as an American, do they, do they serve her? You know, do, does loyalty to these ideas, you know, should she be loyal to them if she feels that American institutions are, are not loyal to her? And, you know, that's sort of, I think that's a bit of part and parcel with some of my own struggle, you know, so I, um, it just you know, as a black American and feeling like, you know, bombarded constantly with with news about policing and how you know dangerous it is for black men in this country. I, you know, I sort of felt like surely Marie would have <laughs> had to be grappling with some of those same feelings um, in, in the 80s. Uh, yeah. And because it is in the Cold War period, you know, like she's Marie, you know, she she's a boomer. And so for me, like generation my my parents my mom's generation i really feel that the, the cuban missile crisis was a really defining moment like for something that terrifying in, in your childhood i think that that was really had a, a profound psychological effect on on a whole generation and i think it created this like pretty terror you know this fear of communism just kind of almost universally <laughs> right. so i think um you know for for marie to kind of it's like one of her big childhood fears almost that she's, that she's ideological fears that she's kind of facing. And it's, a, I think, a big ideological fear for, for Americans. And she sort of is a symbol of, of that or my, my theory about that. Um, and so, yeah, Thomas, who is a Marxist, is, you know, it's like a simultaneous um, attraction and, and repulsion because 
you know, she's attracted to him as a person and as a, as a revolutionary and likes the way that he's challenging her ideas about, you know, what, sh what she should, what ideas she should be loyal to, but is also, you know, he challenges that, that fear of communism that's kind of been ingrained, ingrained in her. So. I'm really glad you mentioned that too, because I remember I wasn't thinking about it as much when I was kind of thinking about the interview for today, but I remember reading it and when, when she's a young girl and her experience of talking to her sister and being worried about the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I think, I mean, it, I think that's a really insightful point because I think so often when we look back at, at history or in terms of military history, we, we look at the things that were that became World War II or that became Vietnam, but this was this experience that was so traumatic and such a real threat and such a real threat to where you were in the in the US it wasn't oh if i would have to be sent off to fight somewhere it's no i'm sheltering in place under my desk in a school and i i think you're right and it it's interesting too cuz we the age we see marie at i don't know that i was even thinking i was like oh yeah she she is a boomer based on how old she is but we're seeing her kind of in you know as a 30 something woman um as an intelligence officer that's a really um it's a really interesting point yeah, I, I made her a boomer. I made her my mom's age, exactly, because, <laughs> you know, I jump around in time through the book. So, yeah, this was like, oh, this is too hard. <laughs> like, let me just give her a birthday I know. So I always know how old she is. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so of herself as a teenager, Marie says, I spoke and dressed well, did well in school, accepted that I had to be twice as upright for white folks to think I was half as virtuous. And one would have to be willfully ignorant of race and, and what has meant and continued to me in this country to think that that was a an experience unique to her. But in, in terms of a character, in terms of you, how you thought about her, what do you think the acceptance or the tolerance or the reality of that double standard of that white privilege, how, how did that shape her, Marie Mitchell, the individual, in terms of, of who she became? Well, I feel that the character is really shaped specifically by like middle class black respectability politics. I feel that that's something that her father is trying to instill in her. You know, I, it goes even a little deeper than I'm saying, because in, in my head on some level, I do think that like there's an element of colorism <laughs> involved. I think that's I think that her father really embraces this particular type of respectability politics and it's extended into some colorism. I think that's the reason why he's attracted to, you know, Marie's mother, who I say in the book can, can pass for white. So I think like it's a, it's a, it's a way of looking at the world that she is indoctrinated in similarly to her, you know, fear of, of communism. And then I think as she gets older, she has to question if the lessons that she learned from her father about respectability if they are serving her. And in fact, if, if that's the way that she also sees the world. So for me, it's just like her coming to the conclusion in general, a couple of times over the course of the book, just saying, you know, I, I think I believe this thing, but I'm not right. sure, but I've never really investigated it. And then her investigating it and realizing, oh, maybe, Maybe I don't. <laughs> so for me, that's um, definitely what that passage yeah. was about. So she's telling the story, the narrative of the book. She's telling it as a letter she's leaving to her her twin four-year-old boys, Tommy and William. Mm -hmm. And 
this was really cool for me individually because it took me back to a conversation I had a couple of years ago on this podcast um, with the author Marilyn Robinson, and she did the same sort of thing in her Pulitzer-winning novel Gilead. And I and I asked her that question then, and I wanted to ask you of what appealed to you about this approach as opposed to just saying Marie's the narrator and she's just going to kind of be talking to us as as the readers directly. The reason I was so excited, you're going to laugh. I literally stole it from Marilyn Robinson. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) I stole it from Gilead. And it was because I wrote the, (laughs) it was, it's entirely (laughs) practical. I wrote the book. I wrote the short story that the novel eventually, you know, grew out of. Okay. In third person. And it was real, it was too distant. I kept getting the, um, you know, so short story was in third. Then I wrote the novel in third and my editor and agent, who was a great reader for me, she was like, this is just too distant from the, it's like, there's no emotional closeness. I wrote it in first and I was still having a problem because, you know, like my conception of Marie was that keeping secrets is like the thing that has kept her alive, (laughs) you know, so she wasn't racing to tell the world her story and then I kind of was at an impasse and I I read Gilead at that time and it came in at the perfect time and I was like oh this is great (laughs) so like this is so intimate and so beautiful I'm stealing this (laughs) and it it worked (laughs) it's it's really funny you're the first person to 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 mention Marilyn Robinson but it's that's exactly that's exactly who I took it from (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure she I'm sure she would be happy to know that. And it's funny because I feel like both times now I've asked this question. It's it's been really practical kind of answer. So your answer there. And when I asked her, she said, I don't know. I just had this image of this guy writing a letter to his kid. So I just decided, yeah, OK, maybe that maybe that's a book. and I'll go from there. So I think that's perfect. It's such a great book. I mean, it's such a beautiful book. She's uh, it was genius yeah I loved it I just was like how are you doing this I don't know it felt to me that's one of those books you read where you're like oh this is like magic you know like there's some sort of alchemy happening that I can steal elements obviously I did but it's like to recreate whatever magic she's creating on the page is is, uh I don't know I don't know how to do it (laughs) so American Spy is a work of fiction the the book jacket notes that it was inspired by true events and, and you've mentioned a little bit of, of the research here. What kind of research and background work went into writing the novel? I went to Burkina Faso. I envisioned her being there for around six weeks. So that's as long as I was there. I didn't okay. want to write something uh, as if I were like an authority. I wanted to write it as if, you know, it's not my culture, you know, so I just wanted to write it as if I was an outsider. And try to be as accurate as possible. So, and I also went to Martinique. Uh, my family is actually from Barbados. And it was important to me, I think, to kind of have, to sort of honor that, but I wanted her to be a French speaker. <laughs> Martinique was, is literally, you know, just for the purposes of the story, I wanted her to be a French speaker. And Martinique is very close to Barbados. And when I was, and I was there, um, I did, went there with my dad, did research as well. And my half sister, her mother lives in Martinique. So I was able to sort of interview her and just kind of get like some, some of her thoughts and some of her experiences. Read some biographies in French of Thomas Sankara. Uh, read some, some um, memoirs of, of, of CIA agents, you know, CIA officers, female CIA officers. And read some stuff about the FBI, you know, just like yeah. there's so much archival information about Sankara, which is really great. You know, I watched a lot of videos of interviews and stuff, which was, which was awesome. That really, that always really helps makes things um, 
it's much easier, I think, to write historical fiction when, <laughs> you know, after like <laughs> the 70s or 80s, when like you can kind of just watch some video and see how the person moved and kind of spoke and get a sense of them. Did, and I'm guessing if, if this were true, you wouldn't be able to tell me anyway, but assuming that you've never been a spy, did, no. you, did you ever, I mean, you taught there about reading like, you know, the, the CIA memoirs or things like that. Was that a, did that ever feel like a difficult world to get your arms around in order to feel like as the writer, like I'm, I'm doing this in a way that at least I, I hope or, or it feels authentic and, and true to life because it certainly is a, it's a very specific type of profession and way, way to move through the world. Yeah, it was, uh, it was tricky for me because I kind of, I put, I put the cart before the horse. I knew that I wanted <laughs> this like spying, you know, like their subtext, like the racial subtext to be in it, in the book. And I wanted to use the spying as a metaphor for that. And then I was like, oh, I actually have to like understand this genre <laughs> a lot better. Um, <laughs> So then I had, I like played a lot of a lot of catch up. You know, I read a lot of um, that was like my earliest research was reading a lot of spy novels and just trying to kind of get into the mindset of you know or ho- I, I hope to anyway uh, of of someone who who would pursue being um, a CIA officer. You know, and yeah, I, I never had any personal experience, but I will say that like I took um, it took me like seven years to to publish this book or to write it. And in year six, my mom was like, hey, did I ever tell you about being recruited by the CIA? And I was like, what? No. And why hasn't this come up before this moment? Like, you know what I've been doing for like a long time now. And she, she told me, you know, she was a social psychology PhD and they kind of gotten in touch with her through the University of Michigan where she was, you know, doing her degree. And she went for an initial interview. And there's a story in the novel where Marie is like convinced that her address book disappears. And that ha- really happened to my mother. She went to DC for um, an internet or like just a preliminary interview and she lost or misplaced this, this address book. And according to, you know, she's convinced that someone took it or something that it was in her hotel room and she was always really good at keeping track of it. And for me, the, joy of that was like not if someone actually took it or if they didn't but just like the paranoia that it had incited in her um so i you know i kind of i like that <laughs> like it i mean it's like it it almost serves the purpose whether it actually happened or not it's the not, mindset yeah. that you would be in of okay well this seems completely plausible even if it didn't actually happen yeah and she was like oh i can't like she just knew she's like if i'm already thinking this way i can't <laughs> I probably am not going to be good at this kind of job. So this isn't the right career path for me. <laughs> not for me. Yeah. So I was like, that, that's wise of you to understand that yeah. early on. Yeah, so <laughs> so you, you talk there about reading, you know, really kind of immersing yourself in the genre. And that that's one thing that to me reading it is so interesting about something that if you would you know, describe it as a thriller, you mentioned earlier, it jumps around timeline wise some. How do you know how much to give us as readers at any one time and how much to hold back? Because I feel like that would be kind of an ongoing negotiation from you as the, you know, as the writer behind it of what I, I want to keep them hooked in and I want this to be tense, but I want it to keep moving. So I can't, I can't give you too much too quickly. Yeah. I, there's no formula, unfortunately. <laughs> it was just a trial and error. Um, over and over and over again 
for me, writing this book felt a lot like filming a documentary, except you just were following someone around. It's like footage of someone's whole entire life. And then you have to decide what footage is going to be in the hour and 20, you know, 20 minutes that you're going to tell the story about them. Except like I was making the footage and then also ed- doing editing. So it was just like that, the question that you you asked is is about like how I knew how much information I'm gonna be giving and like how I'm going to be doling it out. That's what took me seven years to write it. <laughs> like, I was gonna not, say, so did you like, bring that out? Did you I, end up with a lot? It, it's an interesting analogy. Did you end up with a lot, getting a lot more down about Marie and her life than than we ended up seeing? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I I wrote a version. Um, like midway, maybe year four, year five, where my agent called me into her office and she was like, this is terrible. (laughs) And it was because like, I got, I just was like trying to figure out who she was on the page, you know, like she, she goes on a road trip through the United States in that version. (laughs) Like I knew the second that she said it, that she was a hundred percent right. It was terrible because it wasn't, Maybe it was an interesting story, but it was not the story of a spy. She doesn't, she doesn't, you know, she didn't start spying until like, you know, it was like a 300 page manuscript. She doesn't start spying until like 250. Like I got really distracted, like <laughs> trying to figure out who she was. So, I mean, that was my process and it felt very, you know, it felt very um, inefficient for sure. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know. I, I wish that I was someone who knew exactly what, where they were going to go and what they were going to do. And I, I just, yeah. I'm just not a writer like that. Like I just, I had to, I had to figure, I had to find it on the, on the page. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I kept rewriting it and I had this weird experience. I probably wrote this book like six or seven times and I had the experience of, of making a small change in the beginning and it having me like a butterfly effect and having, really profound impact you know as it as it went on and yeah that was it was it was uh it was tricky (laughs) yeah I only imagine (laughs) so I already said I don't want to spoil anything so I'm going to ask you a question about the ending that I hope is both meaningful and exceedingly vague and I don't know if there's a Venn diagram where those two things overlap but I'm going to try so there is more action awaiting Marie when the story ends. And mm-hmm. I could imagine a scenario in which you decided to show us how those circumstances play out, yeah. but you don't. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering in the course of writing it, do you remember when you figured out how the book would end and why it became clear to you that that was, that was the spot to do it? Yeah, actually that's a great question. Cause I, I always knew how the book was going to end. Because for me, the reason that the, she has a, Marie has a childhood trauma with her mother leaving home. Right. So I felt that the one thing in her life that she would never want to do is uh, have that experience happen. And that's where the book ends. So for me, it felt like those were the two poles to kind of get Marie to do the one thing that she would never want to do to me was the end of the book. But, you know, I thought about a sequel. If I wrote one, I would want to, I, I find Ross to be a very interesting character. I would want to write it maybe from his perspective or something like that. But This is kind of the, the handler intelligence officer who's kind of recruiting her to, to yes. her mission. 
Uh -huh. Exactly. Um, but right now I'm, right now I've kind of stepped away. <laughs> Recently I've been planning a heist <laughs> in fiction. So. Oh, excellent. <laughs> we'll see. That's I, where my mind is right now. <laughs> oh, I was going to say too, in terms of genres, learning genres and setting real kind of uh, requirements is probably the wrong word, but there definitely are. I, Cause I have, I have kicked around heist ideas in my mind many times. And then when I try and sit there, it's just the mechanics of when they're done well, it just seems so seamless. Like, oh yeah, like these things just flow into each other. And isn't this cool? And they're, they're all these like cool <laughs> people and characters. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. wow, that's really hard to create that and get that <laughs> to work that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm having the same <laughs> experience. But I think that I'm attracted to these genres that have those rules and then it's kind of seeing if I can figure them out and work within the work within the confines of them yeah it feels like, like I need that structure you know there's that adage if if anything can happen in your story then nothing does <laughs> so I think maybe I like to try to you know learning or getting invested in a new genre and yeah very cool so near the end of the book chronologically this isn't the end of the page numbers, but in 1992, mm -hmm. um, Marie says, throughout my life, the most consistent way I've revealed who I really am is through whom I've chosen to love. Mm -hmm. And for me, this was one of those lines you encounter in a book. It's, you know, a, a specific character saying it, but you immediately, for me as a reader, wonder, okay, I feel like the author tapped into something about humanity in general. Like there's, there's a very, there's kind of a profundity to that line. Do you think this is true to all of us to a certain extent that this way, one of the, I guess, the truest expressions of who we are is in who we choose to, whether they're worthy of that love or not, I guess, but, but who we love? I mean, you know, I hadn't thought so far as everybody as like, you know, <laughs> it was just, just like making big statements over here. <laughs> no, I, you know, I certainly thought maybe it was true about myself. Um, that's and just you know and I feel that I've gathered insight into myself based on the people that I've loved who deserved it and and who didn't <laughs> you know in equal measure so yeah I think that Marie has all of these sort of preconceived notions about herself and what she believes and then I do think that the people that she loves in the book uh, do undermine that um, ideologically and then also just you know, I think she has a fear of abandonment and intimacy. And though, and I think that she does love, you know, there's a character in the book, Robbie, who's very loyal to her. And I think she does love him. Um, she's just really afraid because he's always been available to her. And so, you know, I think, I don't think it's a coincidence that the person that she knows that she's in love with is a relationship that will never really, can't, can't possibly work for so many reasons. So, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I'm glad that it, that it felt like it, you know, something that resonated with you, because I certainly feel like, uh, yes, it's true of me. <laughs> Lauren Wilkinson, the book is American Spy. Thank you so much for making time to talk to me about it. This has been great. Thank you. I'm glad to be at Tom's. <laughs> with a Side of Knowledge is a production of the Office of the Provost at the University of Notre Dame. Our website is with a side of pod dot nd dot edu.